be seated. Well, I sense the Spirit of the Lord is present with us today, and uh, thank you so much, worship team and Pastor Andy, for leading us in worship. And now it's time for us to worship through the Word, and there is much in what we're going to read today that should call us to worship. As I begin this series in Genesis chapter 1, you can open your copy of God's Word and go ahead and begin turning there. Obviously, um, the way I promoted this sermon is that we're going to be looking at uh, Genesis and comparing it to Revelation, and that's true. Uh, The primary amount of my time is going to be spent in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 1 through 3, today, uh, Genesis uh, Genesis chapter 1. The the reason that I wanted to to do this series, uh, really in large measure, was just uh, because of Genesis 1 through 3, but then God began to put on my heart that there is so much in common with Revelation 22 and 23 uh, and Genesis uh, 1 through 3. And so, uh, so I want to I want to try to draw those comparisons within this sermon series because so much of our faith is embedded in things that happened in the past. I mean, you you believe in Jesus and you trust Jesus, His death on the cross, His resurrection, all those things happened in the past. And of course, uh, when we go further back, we get to Genesis, but many other things that happened long ago. But also, our faith is placed in things that are yet to happen. Uh, Jesus has not come back yet, but the, our, pro, the, our primary faith, the next primary event that we're looking for of biblical proportions is the second coming of Christ. And so, so much of our faith is looking forward and looking back, and Jesus says about himself in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, he says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is where I get my title for this series, The Beginning and the End. We're going to look at the beginning of time and the end of time. Uh, we're going to look at passages at the beginning of the Bible. We're going to look at passages at the end of the Bible. And we're going to study a lot of different things. We're going to study, for example, about the first marriage. But we're also going to see the, uh, there's going to be a final marriage, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Uh, we're going to study things like how we were created in God's image in Genesis, uh, in Genesis chapter 1. But we're also going to see how we're going to be fully and completely one day restored to God's image. We read about that in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at things such as the uh, the fall of man, very first sin that was ever committed, and, and the person, Satan, who basically facilitated that. And we're going to look at the final judgment whenever Satan is judged. We're going to look at the first judgment that ever took place. In Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read about the final judgment that's going to take place in the book of Revelation. Today, though, we're going to look and we're going to read about the original creation in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to compare that with the final creation uh, that we're going to read about in Revelation. And then, of course, we're going to talk about what it means to be a new creature in Christ, something that we don't have to wait for, something that that can happen in us today. Uh, But to begin this message, I want us to look at Genesis chapter 1, the whole chapter. Now, if I was really going to preach the whole chapter, we need to skip lunch uh, y'all need to stay throughout the afternoon, and uh, uh, I mean, it would, it would take an l- incredibly long time. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to boil it down to a few core principles uh, that we're going to really celebrate today, something that just as we've already done through song, we're going to celebrate the fact that God created this world. So I want to ask you to stand with me as we look at Genesis chapter 1. 
Now, I'm not, you know, usually what I'll do is, is I'll put my entire passage on the screen for us to read. Uh, obviously, that would, that would be a lot. We're not going to read all 31 verses. But what I want us to do is I just want us to skim it together. Can we do that? I, I just want us to, to kind of skim the entire chapter of Genesis together. I mean, the opening verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And verse 4 says, God said it was good. And verse 5 says that was the very first day. Verse 6 tells us about how God created the waters, and, and he, God spoke it. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And in verse 7, it was so. Verse 8 says, God called the expanse heaven, and said that was the second day. Verse 9, God says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And God said, after he saw it, that it was good. And verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout with vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit. And it happened in, in verse 12, God said that it was good. That was the third day. And verse 14, God said, let there be lights into the sky. And in verse 15, says, and it was so. And then in verse 18, God saw that it was good. That was the fourth day. Verse 20, God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And in verse 21, God said it was good. That was the fifth day. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And it was so. And God said it was good. And in verse 26, God created man. The Bible says he created a male and female in his image. And then the verse that I have, the last verse of the chapter that I have on the screen, God looked back and he saw, he saw everything that he had made. God saw all that he did. And behold, God said, it was, it was very good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this creation account. We thank you, God, for all of the important doctrines that are embedded in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Help us, Lord, over the next five weeks as we soak it in and as we relish and as we celebrate and as we worship what you have done. God, help us to worship today as we think about how you have created us and how you have created everything around us. Uh, God, would your spirit fall upon your people today as they hear the spoken word, the preached word? As they read the, re the, the, the printed word, God, would you speak to them, minister to them? Lord, you know every heart, you know their needs. Uh, God, would you speak to them in a real way today? And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So obviously, our framework for understanding how the universe started, how the world uh, began, how we as people came to be, these are very, very important questions. Uh, and maybe you don't sit around all the time and think about these things and, and, and ponder philosophically uh, where, you, where you came from, but they are important. They are the important questions, the important questions of life, like what is my purpose? Where did I come from? Where did, where did, how did the universe arise? originate. We call, the answers that we give to these questions, we call this our worldview. You ever heard that term before, a worldview? Uh, well, a Christian worldview gets the answers to the important questions of life 
from Scripture, specifically Genesis chapter 1 and, this, and all of these verses that we have skimmed together. If you're going to have a Christian worldview and you're going to try to answer questions like, where did we come from? What's the purpose of life? How did we all originate? Um, is there a God? What does He expect from me? If you're going to have a Christian worldview, your answer to those questions, are that they do have to come from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is the foundational basis of how we answer all of those questions and of our world view. There are some key words and some key phrases that we see in Genesis chapter 1. These, uh, and and these, uh, these key words and these uh, key phrases are, are pretty important. I, I, tried to, I tried to emphasize them as I was reading through the text. I didn't catch all of them. Um, but ten times we see the phrase, and God said... God said, let there be light. God said, let there be creatures. God said, God said. We see it 10 times. And then in response to that, four different times to what God has said, the Bible says, and it was so. God said, and it was so. And then we even see God's opinion on the matter, what God thought about all that he had did. Uh, seven times during every single day of creation, God saw what he had said and what had become. That it was so. God saw, and the Bible says that he saw it. He said, it is, this is good. This is good. And then to the point of, our, uh, of my message today, nine times we see these words, create, created, made, or make. These are supernatural words, as I'm going to point out later in this message. These do not describe the, the activity of where you go to the lumber yard and you make something, or you, uh, go, uh, you go to the artist canvas and you create something, or you write a poem. These, are, th these are, are, are much more expressive than that. And then six times we see, uh, and Moses writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, stating a truth, saying it was evening, it was morning, it was day. These are important. And the very first sentence of the Bible is a radical truth claim that if you can't believe that, you're probably not going to believe and embrace anything else in Scripture. The very first sentence of the very first book of the Bible, of the very first chapter, in the very first verse, we see this radical truth claim that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, typically what we do when we have something hard is we try to slow play it. Well, let me give you something easy first. And you would think that God in his word would say, okay, let me give you some easy things to kind of believe off the front that aren't real controversial, that are kind of simple to believe. But God starts right out the gate with one of the most radical, most important truths that we have to believe right out that says, in the beginning, God. This is a literal truth that you must believe as a Christian. All other truths that we believe, they come from this simple statement. In the beginning, there was God. 
If you can't believe that, you're not going to be able to believe all the other truth claims. You have to believe that before there was sun, before there was moon, before there was light and water and land and vegetation and trees and stars and fish and sea creatures and land animals, before there was any other living organism, there was God. Before there was a single proton, neutron, or electron, there was God. Before there was anything physical that could be touched and felt, God was here from eternity past. If you can't believe that, if you can't believe these opening five words of Scripture then nothing else that you read in the other 66 books is going to make sense to you. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people that don't believe this. There's a whole bunch of people that do not use Genesis chapter 1 and the first four four words of Genesis chapter 1 as the basis for how you explain life and the universe. And this is nothing new to you. We know that uh, uh, Darwinian evolution is taught and presented everywhere as fact. And uh, uh, Darwin's theory of evolution is, uh, is simply this. A random explosion began the universe about four and a half billion years ago. And human beings, along with all other life forms, biologically evolved from simple organisms into complex organisms over millions of years. Okay, you've heard this. This is nothing new. Um, we, it, it, all you have to do is just go to any government school whether it be middle school, whether it be high school, whether it be elementary, whether it be college, 95% of government schools, public schools in our nation teach this. And in most states, they are required to teach this as the foundational bedrock um, theory. Or, or no, they don't present it as theory. Uh, they present it as fact. This is, this is the keystone fundamental claim of modern biology, and, uh, and, and all of you have heard this before. Now, stated simply, I'm just an old boy from Mississippi, uh, what this says is, is that at first humans were tadpoles, then they became monkeys, and uh, then the human life forms that we see now. Now look, I, I, looking at some of you, I almost want to believe that, right? Uh, I mean, I've seen some people that I'm like, man, that Melungeon uh, is probably not of, of, the, of, of the human race previously. Um, here's the thing. Um, this is a theory that is presented as fact. And it is being taught all over our nation, in all of, in, not in all of our schools, but in most of our schools, along with the other, uh, along with other stuff that's 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 pretty crazy. Um, right now, I, I, I'll get into this. I'll get into this whenever. I guess I'll get into this next week, maybe. But the whole gender confusion, um, the whole redefinition of marriage, redefinition of what a man is and what a woman is. Listen, if we want to really answer those questions. We don't go to the psychologist. We don't go to the sociologist. We don't, we don't go to the scientist. We go to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 in order to understand our real purposes and origins and future as a human race. You see, what we believe, we believe in the beginning, God. 
That's what Christians believe. Christians believe in the beginning God, not some, not some godless theory that removes him from all human origin. And God did something specific in order to bring about this universe and in order to bring about the human race. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created. Now that's a great word. God created. And I've told you that this word, created or made, is used several times all throughout Scripture. This is a word that describes a supernatural event. Not some, not some higher life form taking previous molecules and putting them together and building something. This is a word, and this, this word, ex nihilio, is a, is a Latin phrase that means out of nothing. That there was nothing except God, and somehow God, in a supernatural way, that he created everything, that he made everything. While this might have brought about physical the physical universe, this is not as much of a physical event as much it was a supernatural event. Just like whenever Jesus rose from the dead, there was something supernatural in that. When, when the Red Sea was parted and God's people crossed, there was something supernatural in that. There's no physical explanation for how Jesus healed people of leprosy and raised people from the dead, how he ascended to the Father, how one day he's going he's to unleash all the events of revelation. These are supernatural things of divine origin. And that's what Christians believe. Now, there are two views. I'm going I'm I'm to dabble in this a little bit. I don't want to spend uh, too much time. Uh, a lot of times Christians do get caught up as to when this happened, how long ago this happened. Let me just briefly mention the two Christian creationist views. Um, someone with a Christian view of the origins of the world and of human beings embrace one of these two views. Um, one is called young earth creationism, basically is the belief that the earth is relatively young. This flies in the face of science, flies in the face of all evolutionary theory, all Big Bang theory, modern uh, biology. It flies in the face of all of that. Um, but Christians say, no, we study the Bible, and we believe that God did it 7,000 years ago, approximately 7,000 years ago. Then there's the old earth creationists. Uh, they believe that God created the universe about 4.5 billion years ago. They agree with science that the earth is old, but they disagree with the theory of Darwin's evolution. You can't embrace that and have a Christian view. Uh, so they believe that God created man approximately 30,000, 70,000 years ago. Now there's a, there's, a, there's a lot that can be said about old earth creations, a lot of explanations. Um, you may remember the old Schofield reference Bible. It had old earth uh, creationism in it. If you want uh, some, so a really good explanation of young earth creationism, uh, you can get it from a couple of sources. Um, you, can, uh, you can go to Answers in Genesis, um, uh, which is where we get our VBS curriculum, uh, or you can keep listening to my sermon. Um, now, let me, let, me just, let me just say something real quick, though. 
Um, there are people in this room that are old earth creationists. There are probably people on our staff, maybe even pastors on our staff, because I hadn't questioned them, that are old earth creationists. Uh, please don't give your life group leaders or pastors or anybody that you know that believes the earth is old but still believes in creationism, please don't give them a hard time. Um, this, it's not heresy to believe that the earth is old. It's not heresy uh, to believe that. It's not a test of orthodoxy. It's not a test of fellowship. Um, nothing like that. However, uh, I do want to tell you why I personally am a young earth creationist. Uh, I personally am a young earth creationist for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I interpret Genesis 1 through 3 as literal and not metaphorical. I believe that when it says morning and evening and day, it's, it's a literal translation of the text. There was a morning, there was an evening, and there was a day, a 24-hour time period. Uh, you can see Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Uh, Moses wrote Genesis. Moses also wrote Exodus. And when he gave the Ten Commandments, he meant day. I just think it's, it's Genesis 1 through 3. I believe Adam and Eve were real people. I believe that the temptation of man really happened. The fall of man was literal. Uh, the Garden of Eden was literal. I just... I take a literal interpretation to Genesis 1 through 3. Um, and I don't, I don't like science. Okay, there I said it. I, I don't like science. I don't want to study science to get what I believe about God. I just want to read my Bible. I, 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 want, to, I want to read my Bible, and that's where I want to form, that's where I want to form my doctrine. Um, and then, this is pretty convincing. Um, the people, who, the people who originally read Moses, I think they interpreted it the, the same way that we do. I believe that the apostles, uh, Matthew, Luke, John, I, I, I believe that whenever they read Moses and when they read morning, evening, and day, I, I, I think they believed in 24-hour time periods. After all, they gave us the genealogies that give us our young earth creationist views. So it makes sense that the people of the Bible believe this. We know historically, factually, that Christians for 2,000 years, almost all of them have embraced a young earth creationism except for a few that didn't have a high view of Scripture um, until recently. Until recently, And there are people who have a high view of Scripture that love Jesus uh, that are old earth creationists, and it's okay. It's okay. Now back to the things that we can agree on. The Bible says that God spoke the world into existence. The Bible says he spoke it. Look at this next slide. How, look at how many times the Bible says, and God said. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be an ocean. God said, let there be all of these things. God spoke and everything that we see was created. It was an instantaneous, supernatural happening that was initiated by God's voice. When God speaks, he brings life. This has happened in you personally if you've been saved. God has spoken to your heart and he has brought new life on the inside of you. When God speaks, supernatural things happen. What God has said, what God is saying, what God will say is the most important, the most powerful thing and is what we need as, hu as human beings most. And look what God thought 
about his creation. God was pleased with the world that he had created. All these times that when God saw, when God saw how he created us, when God saw the rivers and the trees, when God saw the earth and the stars, when, when, when God saw Adam and Eve, God said, man, that's good. God said, let there be light. He said, oh, that was good. Let there be water. Ooh, that's good. Let there be land. That's good. Let us create man. That is very good. God saw everything that he had made and it was good. Everything that God does is good. Now think about what it would have been like to live in that world. Dogs didn't bite. Tornadoes didn't kill people. Children did not get abused. Moms and dads didn't divorce. There was no murder. There was no death. There was no lies. There was no envy, no slander, no sickness, no crying. None of that, none of that was there. There was no sin. There was no hurt. There was no pain. Boy, we've messed it up bad, hadn't we? We've messed it up bad in comparison to what, how God had originally made it and how good it was. How good is the world now? Well, I guess when I get out and away from everything and I just look at turning leaves around me or snow falling or, or whenever I see a, a river, you know, a pure stream going through the woods, I, I guess I can, I can look around at creation in some form and say it's good. But man, when I look at the world and I look at everything that's happening in the world and all the things that we have done, we have lost the goodness. Back then it was paradise. It was so harmonious and tranquil and peace and joy. And now there's just turmoil and hurt and pain and death and, and crying and addiction and everything that you can imagine. It's all around. We drop bombs on each other and kill each other and slander each other. And then we have no, we have no view of God as a people, as a human race. I mean, comparatively speaking, there's not a lot of Christians on the globe that believe like we do and as opposed to people who are worshiping idols. We have messed it up bad. What's God going to do about it? Don't, 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 you, don't you sometimes just say, man, I'm just sick of all this, all the hard work I have to do, all the pain, all the strain, all the people that I know and love that die or get hurt or sick, or I'm, I'm, maybe you're tired of something in your particular situation. Sometimes you just, you, just, you, just get, you just get sick of this world. Or maybe you live with the hope that somehow you're going to be able to make it better. Somehow you're going to be able to make a decision that's, that's, going to, that's going to restore the goodness that you really want. Somehow you're going to be able to get smart enough, or you're going to make enough money, or you're going to meet the right people, or have the right friends, or find the right church. And, and somehow... All the goodness of health and all the goodness of wealth and all the, all the bad things will just, will just go away from you. And somehow in this life, you'll be able to experience goodness. I, I think that's the gerbil wheel that some of us live on, constantly trying to make this world good again. Whenever lostness prevails 
everywhere. And so we ask the question, what is God going to do about it? If he made it, it was so good. And if he made it, it was perfect. And it was harmonious. How, how, how is God going to fix it? The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, the Bible says, Then I saw there was a new heaven. And there was a new earth. Not the earth that we see now. A new one. It says the first heaven and the first earth, it said it passed away. So everything that we see, everything that we're a part of now, the Bible says that one day that it will, that it will all pass away. It doesn't, it doesn't say that somehow this is all going to be fixed and we're going to make it perfect. It certainly doesn't say that somehow you as a human being in your own power can make the right decisions or maybe, maybe rub your, finger, your hands together and find enough luck so that the goodness will be restored. No, God says basically it's all going to go away. It's all going to pass away. There's going to be a new one, just like we sang about before the sermon. And he says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. You see, that's how it used to be. In the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that the Lord walked with them in the coolness of the day. They had a perfect union, perfect fellowship, uninhibited, undisturbed fellowship with Him. And while you and I have a relationship, we also have a disturbed relationship. You've probably sinned this week or will next week. There'll be something that'll distract you and pull you away from God. You won't pray as much and read your Bible. You'll fall off the wagon, so to speak, and then the Lord will just gently bring you back. But one day that's going to be all, one day that's going to be done with. One day God's going to restore us to perfect fellowship with Him. And He says, "Behold, the dwelling place is with God." And look what God's going to do. The original creation where there was no pain, there was no crying, there was no hurt, there was no death, the original creation. God says, we're going to do it again. It's going to happen. He says, I'm going to wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. No one will ever die again. There shall be no mourning no one's going to cry anymore. There's not going to be any more pain. Right now, this can be found in, in the life of each and every person that's here. Each and every one of you either have recently or will very soon experience some type of crying or death or mourning or pain. It's the reality that we live in. But God says one day all of that is gone, and this time it'll be permanent. And he says for the former things, speaking about all those results of sin, the former things will all be gone. You want me to tell you what one of the hardest, thing, one of the hardest things about being a Christian in this life? And to be frank... One of the hardest things about preaching the Bible and trying to give comfort to Christians, one of, the, one of the hardest, most frustrating things is God gives us all of these wonderful promises like this one, but he tells us that we have to wait. 
our bodies get sick and we say, Lord, I don't want to be sick no more. And what we want to hear is that God is going to heal us tomorrow. But what God has said, i got plans for your healing, but you're going to have to wait for it. Some of us feel inside of our, ourselves, it's like I, I have this sin that I struggle with and I can't shake it. And it's like we want to think, God's going to deliver me from that tomorrow and it'll be gone from my life. God has promised to deliver us. But he's, he said it's going to happen one day. We have to wait for it. We have to be patient. And we have to groan for it. Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says the creation is groaning. It says the creation is longing. That creation itself that was subjected to all that pain, all that crying, all that hurt, all that death, that creation itself is groaning. And the Bible says, look at this, those of us who have the Spirit of God, that we also groan. And why are we groaning? Because we gotta wait. We gotta wait. We gotta wait. We wait because one day we're going to be fully adopted. We belong to Christ now, but one day we're going to be fully redeemed. And we're going to be glorified, and it's all going to be gone. But right now, we're just in the midst of, of so much turmoil. We're in the midst of so much pain, but God says it's going to go away. There is something, though, that you don't have to wait for. And... The Apostle Paul calls it being a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You see, you can have new life that God creates inside of you. You can have it right now. You don't have to wait for that. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, it's happened in your heart. It's happened in your life. You've called upon Jesus, and that same creative voice that was heard at the moment of creation, you've heard it in your own heart, and God has made you a new creation in Christ. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have no clue. Some of you say, well, I've, I've heard about it. I mean, I've read Jesus says to be born again. And I've, I mean, I know that the Bible says we're going to go to heaven one day. But there is a creative power that God's voice has that when you call upon his name, you can be made new on the inside. It doesn't mean that, listen, it does not mean that all your problems go away. It's not what it means. It's not what getting saved means. Getting saved does not mean that now God is bound to fix all the health problems in your life or all the physical problems in your life or all the financial problems in your life. That's not what getting saved means. Rather, getting saved means that something supernatural happens inside of you that gives you peace and joy in the midst of all of these problems that we have and gives you a groaning on the inside as you wait patiently for the new creation. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. I want to ask you some questions. If you're a Christian here today, you know the Lord, you know you know the Lord, 
But man, you're groaning on the inside. It's not necessarily for the new creation, but you're groaning with some problem, some issue. Would you ask the Lord to help you? And would you ask the Lord to create that longing inside of you for eternity? Maybe you're preoccupied. You just, you're, you're a believer in Christ, but you're preoccupied by this sinful world and all of the things in it. And you've just gotten distracted. Would you pray and ask the Lord to give you the Holy Spirit that would groan inside of you for the new creation? Ask Him to give you patience. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, if you've never been born again, if you don't have new life that has been created inside of you by the voice of God, would you call upon His name? Jesus said, a time is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You can live today. You can find life today. Would you call on Jesus? Would you just pray and say, God, I believe you created me. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I'm in desperate need of you. Just pray and say, I I believe you lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sin. I believe you were resurrected and I want to live for you. Would you pray that prayer? You just ask Jesus for that. If, If it's not been true in your life, just say, Jesus, save me. Just surrender it all right now to him. We'll open the altar for anybody that wants to come and pray. I'll give you a few minutes to pray, and then after that, Andy will lead us in a song.